Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of All Things Catholic. Today, we are featuring a talk I gave on my latest book, Into His Likeness, Be Transformed as a Disciple of Christ. It was recorded in Fargo, North Dakota in April 2018. Here's part one. Next week, we'll feature part two. Good morning. It is such a delight to be here with all of you this morning at this Called by Name conference. Uh, So exciting seeing so many people coming out, dedicating their lives to want to walk more closely with our Lord Jesus. So thank you for being here. It was mentioned in the introduction that I do pilgrimages, and I want to share with you a fun story. I'm getting ready, actually, to go on a pilgrimage to Rome, uh, leading a group of people at the end of May. And one of the big adventures about the Rome pilgrimage is the chance to see the Holy Father. The Holy Father does an audience, a Wednesday audience, but you're with tens of thousands of other people. And there's always the big adventure of trying to get to the front row. So you can get really close to the Pope and you might get a, a specific blessing from him. And uh, I've been doing this for over a dozen years, taking dozens and dozens of groups, and we have a 100% track record for getting to the front row. <laughs> I have a competitive side of me, and I, I draw out like almost like football plays. People said he's like John. He's like John Madden there. He's drawing the plays. I have different people that run different routes and different roles, and we always get to the front row. And every couple of years, I'll take one of my kids with me on the Rome pilgrimage, and when they turn about nine years old. And a couple of years ago, I took my son Carl. It was his turn to come, and he had heard from his older siblings about the race to the front row of St. Peter's Square to see the Pope. That was what he was looking for to the most. And we got up really early with the group that morning. We got in line. We got good positions. And then as soon as the gates open, everyone runs their routes. And Carl and I were some of the first people in St. Peter's Square. And we raced to that front row. We're standing on the chairs, waving for the rest of the rest of the group. They all come pouring in. And we owned the first two rows in St. Peter's Square that morning. <laughs> and everyone's all excited. And if you've ever done something like this, there's a lot of adrenaline flowing. So there's lots of intensity. And we're all high-fiving each other, we're taking pictures, we're sending messages back home, but after about 20, 30 minutes of our celebration, things start to settle down, and it's about 8.45 in the morning, and we got to wait almost two hours for the Pope to come out, (laughs) and so once the adrenaline fades and everyone starts sitting down, they're a little more relaxed, and they're exhausted because we've been up since five o'clock in the morning, uh, people all of a sudden start pulling out their Bibles or a little prayerful devotion, and they say they're going to, quote, pray. (laughs) But what's really going on is they're sitting down, they open up their Bibles, and they start dozing off. (laughs) And I was one of those people doing my morning prayer, and all of a sudden I'm just dozing off in, in a deep slumber. And then suddenly I heard a roar in the audience, people cheering and screaming and pointing. And I, I woke up and I saw everyone's pointing over there and, and it's, it's Pope Francis coming out 45 minutes early. I couldn't believe this. The Pope is coming. So everybody, wake up, wake up, the Pope is coming. And he's coming around and he's turning the corner to come down the front row now. So he's getting close and we're all excited. We're pulling out our phones. I got my video, video on on my phone and I'm getting ready to get this great shot of the Pope. And then... He stops, and he goes and he points, 
and they bring him a baby, and he kisses the baby, and we're like, come on, Pope, come on to us, and he goes a little bit further, he's getting closer, and then he stops and takes another baby, and, and then finally, he's getting really close, and he's right in front of me, and I'm getting this all on video, and then I suddenly, I see him point, and I realize he's pointing at me. But the next thing I see on my video screen is actually my nine-year-old son Carl being lifted over the barricade by the security guards and brought into the back of the Pope Mobile to get a blessing from Pope Francis. And I'm catching all this on video. I can't believe it. That's my boy. And it's all exciting. And he, the Pope taps him on the head, gives him a kiss, traces the sign of the cross on his forehead. And I'm just so thrilled that I'm going, wow, I can't wait to talk to Carl about this. And I never got the chance. Because the next thing you'll see on this video, if you want to see the video, it's on my, my website, you can see this. He, he, all of a sudden you see the Pope Mobile taking off with Carl in the back seat. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that, that, that's my boy. <laughs> Pope Francis is going off with my boy. What's going on here? And then uh, they turn the corner, and I don't know where Carl is anymore. We can't see the Pope Mobile. We're trying to follow on the Jumbo Trion uh, to see where. Oh, I think he's over by the obelisk now. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm realizing Pope Francis just kidnapped my son. <laughs> he's going around for 20 minutes all around St. Peter's Square, and I wonder if I'm ever going to see my son again. And then I realized that when the Pope laid his hands on Carl, Maybe it was an ordination. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, eventually we got uh, Carl back. They dropped him off, and we had a, a wonderful celebration. As he, he had a magical 20-minute ride uh, in the Pope Mobile. But life is full of many surprises in life. And certainly our relationship with God. Sometimes we could be surprised at what's really there. Some of us here have grown up Catholic. We were raised Catholic, maybe went to Catholic schools, we got confirmation, and, but there was an awakening that took place. Maybe when we were in college or when we first got married or when we started having kids and something awoke, was awakened within us. Something uh, woke up inside of us and drew us closer to the Lord. Uh, maybe some of us here did not get raised in the Catholic Church. We're from a different Catholic or a different Christian denomination or maybe have no faith background, but we encountered a friend or some situation in life that drew us closer to the Lord. And there's this surprise of, wow, this Christianity thing is so much bigger than I ever imagined. That's what I want to talk about today, that we come to this profound realization, this profound realization that we are called by name, that Jesus calls us and he draws us closer to him, ever closer to him all throughout our lives. So let's start off, if we could, with a word of prayer. We did one prayer already. I'd like to just call on Our Lady in a, in a Hail Mary here as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to take you right into a beautiful biblical scene that took place after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with his apostles, and he has a conversation with Peter. And he asks Peter a very personal question. He says, do you love me? 
Do you love me? Now this gets us right into the heart of what Christianity is all about. Christianity isn't about just following rules and believing right doctrines. It, it, we have to do that. That's essential, of course. But it's more than that. It, all of those doctrines, all of those rituals, all of those uh, moral laws, those are all pointing to a relationship of love. And Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Now, when we look at that line, we, we, we should be thinking at first glance, we're thinking, wow, of course Peter loves Jesus. I mean, this is Peter the disciple. This is the one who dropped his fishing nets a long time ago and gave up everything to follow Jesus. He surely loves Jesus, right? And this is the Peter. This is the one who had his name changed to Peter, to rock. He's the rock upon which Christ is going to build his church. He's the first pope. He gets the keys of the kingdom. Surely this guy loves Jesus. This should be a no-brainer. But the word that's used in John chapter 21 by Jesus to describe love, this word would make Peter pause. This word that Jesus uses for love isn't ordinary human affection. There's another Greek word that John's gospel could have used, philio, which describes basic friendship love, ordinary human love. Good, but not perfect. That's not the word Jesus uses. Jesus uses another word for love, agape, agapao in the verbal form. Do you love me with agape love? This is total unconditional love, perfect love, self-giving love. Agape love is the love that Jesus models for us on the cross when he dies for us on Good Friday. And Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me with that kind of love? Now, I think Peter, earlier in his career, he would have just jumped at that and said, Yes, Lord, of course I do. I give you agape love. Right? This is the Peter who, uh, at Holy Thursday night, right, what does he say to Jesus? He says, Oh, Jesus, I, I won't deny you. I'll, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you. But then what happens with Peter? A few hours later that night, we know that he ended up denying Jesus three times. I don't even know the man, he says. So here is a different Peter. This is a changed Peter. This is a humble Peter. A Peter that knows the tragic consequences of his disloyalty to our Lord that night. And now he's got that Jesus asking him, Peter, do you love me with agape love? And this humble Peter can't say yes. He knows he does not love Jesus with agape love. And he comes to Jesus honestly and he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word in the Greek text there is not agape, it's philio. In other words, Peter is basically saying, Lord, you of all people know I can't love you with that higher level agape love. The best I can give you is philio love. Again, this is a changed man. This is a man that has become more self-aware. He's aware of his own inadequacy, his weakness, and he comes to Jesus as he really is. This is not the sanguine Peter of the Last Supper. Remember earlier in the Last Supper, Jesus tries to wash his feet, and he, Peter's like, oh no, don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to do this. Okay, wash everything. No, no, just the feet's fine, Peter. You know? So Peter's always all over the place. This is a changed man. At this moment, he's coming humbly before our Lord, Jesus looking him in the eye, and he says, no, I, I, I don't love you with that agape love. The best I can give you is filio. Jesus asks a second time, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me with agape love? And once again, no, the, the, the best I can give you is filio love, Jesus, or Peter says. And then the third time, the third time Jesus asks this question, 
The third time, Jesus changes the word for love. He doesn't change the standard for love. He doesn't lower it, but he's going to come and meet Peter where he's at. In the third question, Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me with philia love? In other words, Jesus comes down, meets Peter where he's at, and says, I'm willing to accept what you can give me. Can you give me at least this? And then Peter says, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know philia love is, the, is all I'm capable of. And this turns to the most amazing part of the story right here. This is the most amazing part of the story, and it's the most amazing part of Peter's own journey of faith, the real turning point in his journey of faith. Once Peter comes to Jesus as he really is, humbled, no longer pretending to be, you know, something that he's really not, this superstar apostle. No longer, you know, uh, think, uh, uh, unaware of his own inadequacies and weaknesses. He, he comes to Jesus humbly, as he really is. Now Jesus can begin to work with him. Because right after Peter comes to Jesus like this, as he really is, humbly, Jesus starts talking about the amazing transformation he's going to work in Peter's life. He says, you're right, basically saying, you're right, Peter. You can't give me agape love right now. But now that you finally admit that and you're coming to me humbly as you are, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform your heart. And you will live agape love. You will imitate my sacrificial love on the cross. What does Jesus say in John 21? He says, you, Peter, eventually are going to go where you do not want to go. And your arms will be stretched out. This is a prophecy Jesus is giving here, a prophecy about Peter's future martyrdom when he's going to be crucified upside down in Nero's circus. One day Peter will live perfect agape love, but it's going to be through the power of the Spirit that Christ gives him. But the turning point was right here. Jesus had chosen Peter. Peter had been following him all these years, but it's at this moment of Peter's walk with the Lord where he comes humbly in his weakness that then he experiences this profound change. You know, I, I think about this, this uh, moment of coming to, to Jesus like Peter did. And, and I'm reminded of something that happens in my household many times. I have eight children. And every time my kids turn around three or so, they start drawing pictures. And they love drawing pictures for their mom and for their dad. I want to share with you, my, my daughter Kiara drew a, an amazing picture once. Okay, so I want to show this to you. Ready? So this is her picture. So you see a bunch of black scribble marks. <laughs> and I asked Kiara, what is that? And she says, oh, that's you, Daddy. <laughs> so it's just a bunch of black scribble marks, right? Now, what would you think if I saw this big blob on her paper and I just ripped up her drawing and I yelled at her and said, don't you ever draw a picture for your dad again until you get it exactly right. What good father would ever do something like that? As a father, I'm moved not simply by the artistic ability, but even more so by her heart. My little three-and-a-half-year-old is thinking about me in the day, and she's wanting to give me a gift. And granted, it's not that pretty compared to, say, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, but I see her heart behind here. And this is the way God looks at us as well. That sometimes we look at our lives, and we feel our lives are just a, a, a bunch of scribbles, a scribble drawing. My marriage isn't as beautiful as I wish it was. 
I, I'm not the father or the mother that I, I really hoped to be for my kids, and, and, and it hasn't turned out as great. And my prayer life, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to pray, but I'm not consistent, and I don't feel I'm good at this prayer thing, and I, I'm often distracted, I don't do prayer well, and I'm struggling with these sins, and I keep bringing the same weakness to confession week after week, and month after month, and year after year, and I feel like my life is just a bunch of scribble. What do I do when I have my Peter moment? What do I do when I experience my own weakness? This is the crucial turning point in the Christian life. There's often an initial spark of attraction where the Lord draws us closer to him and we're excited about our faith. We start going to events like this conference and we show up at the parish and we start volunteering. We want to pray. We start reading about the faith and that's a great start on our walk with the Lord, but that's just a beginning. Peter had his beginning, but the real turning point, what could be called the second conversion, happens when we are brushed up against our own inadequacy, our own weakness. What happens when we feel our own scribbled lines? That's what I want to talk about with you today. How do we experience this transformation? Because this is really what the life of being a disciple is all about. You see, if, if, if you're looking at your life, you're saying, okay, this is, you know, what I'm made for. I am made to be transformed in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're called to be holy. We're called to be saints. We know that. And yet, if I stare at the reality of my life, I look at myself and I go, I'm a mess. I'm just a bunch of scribbled drawings inside. I, I, I've got, you know, some good qualities and noble intentions, but I fall short so many times. I've got all these weaknesses inside. To get from here to there, that just seems like a tall mountain to climb. How do I get from, to, from where I am right now to where Christ wants me to be? That's what being a disciple is all about. That's why Jesus calls us by name. And that call isn't just an initial call that happened when we were in high school or it happened when we were 37 and had a big conversion moment. He continues to call us step by step throughout our life. And the walk with the Lord, the walk as a disciple is all about this transformation. Now I want to talk to you about this idea of walking with Jesus as a disciple. This theme of discipleship is a big theme in the Bible and it's huge in the Catholic Church. Pope Francis has been talking a lot about it. You're seeing the United States Bishops Conference had a big convocation all about discipleship. Many dioceses and parishes are having meetings to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple? How do we form disciples? So this is a very important word today, but I'm worried that it could be just a buzzword. It could be just a buzzword where it's just some, some catchphrase out there. I remember one parish leader, I was talking to him about discipleship. He goes, oh, discipleship? Oh, yeah, that's just the Catholic buzzword right near, right now. A few years ago, it was mercy, you know. Now it's discipleship, and next year it'll be something else. I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. <laughs> but this beautiful word, discipleship, is so helpful for our own walk with God. And I want to ground this in Scripture. Rather than coming up with, here's my own creative take on discipleship, I think it would be so helpful if every diocese, parish, and individual apostolate turned to what God's Word was saying about what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. And if I had to pick one word, one word that summed up discipleship, it would be this word here from the Bible, imitation. Imitation. To follow a, a rabbi as a disciple 
was to strive to imitate the rabbi. You see, a rabbi-disciple relationship in, in biblical times is very different from a student-professor relationship at some big university. I remember I went to Indiana University and I remember taking classes in big lecture halls with 700 people inside and there was a professor way up on some stage and I didn't really have that much interaction with my professor. I just took notes and regurgitated it for an exam. That was my relationship with my professor. A rabbi-discipleship relationship is so much different. A rabbi gathers disciples and they don't just take notes from the rabbi's teachings. They're sharing life with the rabbi. They're sharing meals with the rabbi. They pray with the rabbi. They study with the rabbi. And all along the way, they're watching the way the rabbi lives. And the goal was not just to memorize the rabbi's teachings. You did that. But you were trying to imitate his way of life, the way he cared for the poor, the way he studied, the way he prayed, the way he debated other rabbis, the way he lived his marriage. That whole way of life was meant to rub off on you. That's why when Jesus gathers disciples, what does he do? Does he go across the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and James there? He says, or Peter and John, Peter, or Peter and Andrew, hey, you guys go, go meet me in the synagogue and go take some good notes. No, what does he say? He says, come follow me. He sees James and John and says the same thing. Follow me. He's inviting them to share life. And they basically go on a three-year camping trip with Jesus as they're traveling all around Galilee. Now think about that. Have you ever gone camping with someone? You really get to know people when you go camping with you, don't you? you know, talk about taking on the smell of the sheep. You really get to know people. But that's what's happening. Imagine you're one of those disciples and you're not just hearing Jesus talk about the importance of prayer. You're noticing every morning before the sun goes up, before anything happens, Jesus goes off by himself to pray. You just notice that. That is going to leave a big impression on you. And you heard Jesus talk about the need to, you know, care for the poor and those that are suffering. And you remember that teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But what's going to really leave an impression on you is just how you knew Jesus had this burning desire within him. He's always going out to those who are suffering, the sick, the lepers, the, the, the sinners, the tax collectors. He's just going out to the lost. And, and that's just going to leave a great impression on you. You know Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You remember that teaching. But you would be much more impressed by watching what he did on Good Friday when he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His way of life would rub off on you. That's why Jesus says in this idea of a rabbi-disciple relationship, he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, that a disciple is fully trained when he becomes like the teacher. That's the goal, transformation, to become like the rabbi. And Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to become ever more like him, to be changed. That's why St. Paul, when he goes out and starts forming disciples of his own, he says to his disciples in Corinth, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's all about imitation. We're called to be changed. St. Paul says in his second letter to Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18, that we are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And that's why I titled the book after that passage, Into His Likeness. That's what we're being changed into. Discipleship is all about striving to imitate the master. You know, this is very biblical, but it's super Catholic. Because think about this. We as Catholics, we talk about the idea of growing in holiness. We talk about pursuing sanctity. We talk about taking on the character of Christ. It's all about imitation. 
What's the, what's the most famous uh, Catholic devotional book, the one that's been around for centuries? It was written by a man named Thomas Akempis. What's it called? The Imitation of Christ. You see, when Catholics talk about growing in holiness, sometimes it could just sound really ethereal, you know, in the clouds way up there. Vatican II taught about the universal call to holiness, and that's really important, but for the average Catholic in the pew, when they hear universal call to holiness, that, that sounds like something from Star Trek or something. I, I don't know what that means. The average Catholic out there, like those of us that want to be faithful, we want to grow in holiness, but what does that really look like? We're wondering, you know, I want to grow in holiness, but how do I know I am really growing? There's no holiness thermometer out there that I can take. No, okay, I, I'm taking the holiness thermometer now. Oh, I grew in 15 degrees of holiness this last week. Good. There's nothing like that. So how do I know I'm on the right path? We ask the question of imitation. Is there something moving within me? And am I striving to become ever more like Christ? So I'm going to take you now into the heart of discipleship. And there's this first movement in discipleship that I'm striving to imitate Christ. I'm striving to become ever more like him. Do we have that movement within us? Is there this growing desire to love Jesus, to think like him, to love like him, to act like him? Do I have that desire to grow in patience, to grow in generosity, to grow in purity, to be more like Jesus? You know, many Catholics, their approach to the Christian life is primarily just about following the rules. You know, hey, I show up at church on Sunday, and I throw money in the collection basket, and I volunteer every once in a while, so I'm doing pretty good. But remember, Jesus' question to Peter wasn't, do you follow all the rules? It was, do you love me? We got to do more than that. Some of us who are faithful Catholics, we could, we could be tempted to pride ourselves in our orthodoxy. I follow the teachings of the church. I'm pro-life. I stand up for the definition of marriage. I believe in God. I go to church every Sunday. I'm like in the 99th percentile out there. I'm doing really great in a world of such moral relativism and secularism. I'm doing really great. And we could be tempted to pat ourselves on the back for that. Now, again, I want to be very clear. Following the rules, following the teachings of Christ's church is essential. Standing up for marriage, standing up for, for, for the unborn, standing up for the poor, all of these things are absolutely essential for walking with Jesus. It's just that it's, it's not enough. That's just like the bare minimum. It's like the basics. It's kind of like this. If I told you I'm a great basketball player, I am an awesome basketball player, and you said, wow, Edwards III, what makes you so good at basketball? And I told you, I'm really, really good at following all the rules. <laughs> I don't go out of bounds. I never double dribble. I don't travel with the basketball. I'm an awesome basketball player. If LeBron had me on his team, he could beat Golden State this year. I mean, he really needs me. I'm just amazing. <laughs> You'd all be laughing like you are now, right? Because that, that's just the bare minimum. That's just permission to play a good thing, but that doesn't make you a great basketball player. And similarly, just simply following the rules, while absolutely essential, is just the starting point. The real question is, am I pursuing the imitation of Christ? Am I growing in patience and generosity and forgiveness and love and courage and, and service to others and those in need? Am I living Christ-like love in my life? That's the question we want to ask. 
Part two of this talk will be featured in next week's podcast, so stay tuned if you want to learn about the four key habits of a disciple, what it looks like to live as a modern-day disciple. Listen to next week's show. If you enjoyed this, please share it with others. Let other people know about the podcast, that it may bless them as well. If you want to learn more about the book I wrote, Into His Likeness, you can find more information on my website. It's featured on the homepage there, edwardsree.com. You can go there to edwardsree.com. You can also contact me on my website or reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter. God bless.